everyone. Welcome to Men on Fire. My name is Micah Wren, a former mechanic and engineer turned transformational teacher. And each week I'll deliver an inspiring message to help you excavate those repressed inner negative feelings and install new thoughts that will finally allow you to truly become the person you were born to be. Welcome, 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 welcome to another episode of Men on Fire here on Soul Mechanic TV and Soul Mechanic Radio. Now, as you know, my company is called Infinite Success Academy. And as such, I want to start delivering more messages around raising your awareness on how you can become successful in life. And that includes financially as well. So, that brings us to my very special guest today, Sari Ibrahim. Now, Sari is the founder of a company called Financial Asset Protection. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? And after learning about the infinite banking, bank on yourself, and thinking like a bank concepts, he saw an opportunity to save retirement accounts, real estate properties, and businesses from market failures and other risks as well. So Sari believes the number one rule for your money is to make sure it lives somewhere safe and accessible. And as Sari states when working with clients, it's never an either or situation, it's both and situation. And Sari earned his MBA from the Keller Graduate School of Management in Chicago, Illinois, and has a wealth of experience consulting with companies like Blue Cross, Blue Shield, Allstate Insurance, Humana, and Cigna Health Spring as well. And is working with businesses and entrepreneurs and people just like you. Now, Sari is based in the U.S., but I want to assure all my Canadian listeners that the principles that Sari speaks of here are at least, for the most part, applicable in Canada as well. And I have to do this legal stuff. I have to mention as a disclaimer that this podcast is provided to you as entertainment in order to show you the options available to you. It's not to be construed as financial advice or as a guarantee that the strategies presented here will work for you. Okay, done with that boring legal stuff. Let's get on to the good stuff. Okay, folks, here he is live virtually is Sari Ibrahim. Hi, Sari. How are you today? Hey, Mike, I'm good. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm glad to be here and I'm excited to chat with you. Yes, yes, right on. I'm so excited to have you on the show. And uh, I know folks are really going to be interested in have what you have to say, some of your innovative uh, thoughts on um, on money and finances and uh, i thought if we just start maybe you give us an idea of your background and um how uh, you came upon some of these uh, in my way of thinking advanced concepts of thinking like a bank or banking on yourself and infinite banking yeah thank you for that so really this journey kind of started when i was um growing up i was always very curious i always wanted to learn how the world worked like more than i could handle sometimes <laughs> and, <laughs> That's a good and point. i um and i started really when i was a senior in high school we had, everybody had to take a class called consumer economics and it was you know how to write a check you know what is interest what is a mortgage you know very basic financial literacy which i think is very important i think that mm schools should have more of that, like more often and more types of financial literacy courses. But anyways, I really liked this. And I liked, I liked the idea of money and credit and things like that. And kind of 
more from the standpoint of being able to help people. Uh, that's kind of like one of the careers I wanted to do. I didn't really know what, what that career would be called, like, you know, financial consultant or financial advisor, financial planner. Sure. I didn't really know. So went to college after that, still wanted to do something near that kind of area of money. I got my MBA uh, with a concentration in project management. And that kind of opened nice. up my eyes more to like high level business, like companies uh, greater than, you know, 5,000 employees, how they operate, things like that. Not really relevant, right? To helping people on a, on a daily basis, right. on an individual basis. But um, one, one job I had that really kind of, it was one of my favorite jobs and I was working mm -hmm. at Allstate and I was helping people with very, you know, basic auto insurance, homeowners insurance, nothing too crazy. And a lot of times I noticed that clients were comfortable talking to me about their financial situation. They would say, all right, well, I make, you know, 80,000 a year. I have to put aside this amount for taxes or I already get taken out for taxes, like X amount taken out for taxes, right. which leaves me with this amount for my insurance. I think it should be less than 1% or 2%. Now I start to think like, all right, this is how you can help people by sharing these, these kind of ideas with them and having them express their talk about their finances, right? Talk about their finances with a professional and a professional in different areas. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, that actually feels good. It's not about the insurance, right? It's not about the uh, the brand of the company you're working with or any of that stuff. It's more about the people you're working with and then For getting sure. down to the bottom of things and being able to help people solve financial problems is actually, it's very rewarding and, it, and it's, it's it lifts a lot of stress off of their shoulders because people a lot of times think that they can't do that. They think that mm -hmm. if they are in financial struggles, the only solution to their financial struggles is that money to replace it. And that's simply not true. In other words, you could take somebody who has, you know, $100,000 in debt, mm -hmm. and give them that $100,000, and then tomorrow they'll have 10 new other problems. Mm -hmm. so, oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in other words, they need to talk to professionals about how to not only what to do with their money, but it's more of a behavioral things that need to be addressed yes. and how you deal with yourself and how you, how you believe in yourself reflects heavily on money. Yeah, no, I, I I totally agree. I think there's a there a while ago there was some stat floating around that uh, within three years um, most lottery winners are broke. Mm -hmm. You know, so that uh, doesn't surprise me because that's they didn't learn how to um, um, you know use that money in constructive manner. It's just you know they just they want it, but they just spend it the way they always spent it. So it doesn't take long to go you know, out the window, uh, pretty much, you know, other than maybe buying a few things, you know, like a home or a car or something. But, um, you know, that uh, it's exactly what you're talking about. And I like that you touched about uh, on about when you were in high school, and you actually had um, the uh, economics course, because they didn't have that when I went, but that was um, uh, 70, mid 70s, to, <laughs> to 1980. So, um, which you know, I, I didn't know my parents were uh, um, German immigrants to Canada, and um, you know they just worked hard. That's all they knew how to do. They had, they had, you know, they uh, did the best they could uh, in advancing themselves in their positions, and uh, they did very well at it. Um, but they were, um, they were, they were just, you know, with jobs, right? Which you sometimes say just over broke with a job, you know. Um, so they didn't really know and, and i got the impression you know it was always hard uh, well we only have so much money money doesn't grow on trees and when you start um with that kind of mindset then you start to think that you know money is 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 not a good thing you know and and then you, even in cer certain beliefs in certain circles where um you know you um you uh the money is actually it's evil to have too much money or whatever you know so but for me, money is uh, for making things happen, and you can help a lot of people. 
uh, with it. So um, you you touched on that, uh, and that makes me feel good if there's if there's more high schools starting with that um, to at least explain the basics. I mean, um, they really should almost uh, explain how banks work and. Um, you know, Shark Tank, you always I look watch Shark Tank sometimes and they always get the sharks get ticked off when people don't know their numbers. Yes. So it, um, maybe you can touch on um, uh, knowing your numbers and uh, and maybe how to keep track or uh, how important that is. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's one of um, one of our key focuses when we deal with clients, right, is like when people ask what are the keys to financial freedom and one of the first ones is know your numbers you know mm -hmm. um and what that means is know like how much you make um know how often you make that money know how much you have in savings and assets the value of those assets how much debt you have where that debt is what kind of debt it is how often you pay that debt how often you spend money in different places and then what you and then the second part of that would be what are your goals is, is it to reduce mm -hmm. that to increase income to increase the value of certain assets and those are all different right they're, they're all different for different people in different scenarios and then the third step would be is that you need them to be as unique and as relevant as possible to yourself there really is no um, standard guideline for financial freedom. There is no like, all right, everybody do these three things. And then, you know, like you'll be out of, you know, you have to have, you have to have specific goals yes. um, that are relevant to your life and that, that matter to you. Like, for example, if you have, for example, a, a lot of credit card debt, I would recommend that you pay those off because credit cards are really high interest mm -hmm. and they typically they're on your personal credit. So there's a lot of negative implications from that, but if you have, for example, $80,000 in student loans at 3% interest deferred and amortized over 20 years, then I don't really see any urgency to pay those off tomorrow, you know, if, sure. you, if you were given that chance to. So no. you want to evaluate these things, not just look at debt as all debt and not just look at income as all income. Like you need to differentiate it and have different goals for different things. And then um, have somebody to talk to, right? That That's really important. Have a professional. And then you, like I work with a lot of, high net worth individuals and i mm -hmm. see how they think about money and they and i see how they they function a lot in a lot of different places in their life yes and one thing they do is they have different professionals for different reasons like they might have their you know their accountant that handles their taxes and their bookkeeping they have a financial planner or professional that's going to handle their investments long term and short term and things like that and, and pivoting and they might also have a business coach who helps them coach them through their business and all three of those people might have overlapping functions right but right. they have their own expertise that they deal with. So I think you need to start with some some people on your, you know, as they call it, your money team, you know, your professionals that you have working with you. And it helps tremendously. Like you see a big, you see a huge impact between people who have these mentors and coaches and people mm -hmm. who don't. Yes, I, I totally agree. I, I mean, really, um, we need a lot of coaches in our lives. Yes. Um, for our, every different era, area of our lives. And some of them work with us for uh, a very small sum. Um, you know, some, if you uh, need a business coach or something, might be a little bit more. But they're going to get you to places where you want to go. Yeah. And, and, and hold you accountable, too. So I'm a big believer on the numbers. I remember years ago um, when it was just telephone banking, there wasn't any online banking yet. Um, and it was in the 80s, so it wasn't really, a, the internet wasn't around. And uh, I started writing down on a piece of paper because uh, I had my first son at that point. And uh, I said, okay, uh, we got to have a budget here, right? And I'm saying, well, where's all the money going? So I started writing down every little thing, whether it was mm -hmm. a, you know, a large expenditure or, uh, you know, a chocolate bar sort of deal. 
So I wanted to find out where this money is going. And that's, you know, it, it showed me, okay, <laughs> I can't spend this money here, right? And that's about knowing your numbers and uh, in, in a very crude format. But uh, it's very important. And uh, thank you for touching on that. And the other thing I, I wanted to talk about was uh, real estate. I know you're involved in some uh, some real estate investments and, and uh, can advise on those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. I was also a realtor for a number of years. Mm -hmm. And um, so primarily um, people feel when they buy a home, it's uh, going to be a long-term investment because they're probably going to pay, pay it off in uh, you know, maybe 20, 25 years. Uh, and hoping that the uh, the value grows in the home, um, but it's not always as uh, clear at what, you, what kind of money you're going to get back, is it? I mean, depending on the interest you've paid and all those things over, over the years. So I thought if you could touch maybe maybe on uh, homes and is it still the primary way to make money or, or get some money back or with the economies now, I know up, up here in Canada, the prices uh, are, are nuts. So um, <laughs> so I wonder if you could touch on that for us. Yeah, and you're right. Yeah, so pr prices are going up. That's one of the benefits. I think too, like, so there's two kind of avenues, right, with real estate. Uh, one of them could be cash flow, like mm -hmm. on a monthly basis that you earn income on, or you that, that is your income. Mm -hmm. And then the other could be um, appreciation, like you park money somewhere and over time, it inflates, it grows, it accumulates, it increases in value. And both of those have, and sometimes it could be both, right? You're, you're doing real estate for both reasons, for cash flow and to accumulate. So um, the cash flow is like a rental, let's say, or? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. Rental income that you have. And then after expenses, you have some left over that your positive, you know, in, inflow, positive cash flow. That's, that's the, your, typically you could spend that money. And then you have your uh, value. Like, for example, I know like in Toronto, right? Or like mm -hmm. in San Francisco or New York City or pretty much all over California, because the values of the homes are so expensive, they typically appreciate more than other places in North America for the most part. Yes. yes. And, and in those types of markets, um, people are going to be more concerned about just parking money somewhere, even if they're earning rental income on them. If they're breaking even, they're still making money long term, just having right. instead of the money sitting in the bank. Mm -hmm. or instead of the money sitting in the stock market, it sits in these high appreciating real estate markets. Mm -hmm. And then that's kind of their goal. It's just, I want $100,000 to double you know, in 10 years from now or whatever the case is, whatever that number is. Right. That's kind of the mentality. So I think it's, uh, both of those are still relevant until today. Mm -hmm. uh, and, it, and, it, and then it goes back to like your objectives. Like, what is it that you want to do, right? Are you trying to use real estate to replace your income? Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then you want to get into rentals and then you want to get into rentals in the right market where rentals, um, that's that's the target point of it. It's not the appreciation. It's more about the rental income. And then you know, and then you want to also figure out how much cash flow you need. Like if you make ten thousand dollars a month from your day job, and then you want to replace that, you would need let's just say ten properties or whatever the whatever the math is. So sure. yeah, I, I think yeah, real estate is definitely still um, relevant today and still a good way to earn what which are the, whether it's cash flow or accumulated value. Uh, I think that too, one thing I'm, I'm getting more involved in mm -hmm. is passive real estate investing. This is right. where, for those who don't know, right? Like it's where you don't do any work at all. You just invest in real estate deals passively mm -hmm. and typically for cash flow reasons, right? It could be for the, for accumulating value over time, but this it's mainly for cash flow. So like I would take, for example, $50,000, put it into a limited partnership and then 
every month get back cash flow, right? Like year one to year 10 or whatever. However, when they sell or they refinance, then you get your money back. I like mm-hmm. that too, because you don't have to do any work. And then you, and, I, and I've seen too from some of my clients and then some of the other people I've had on our show as guest speakers, they do this almost like as a profession where they call right, it like right. uh, professional passive investors, where they do that like almost religiously. They're just finding deals to invest in and then making a living that way. Yeah, well, that makes a lot of sense, especially with the uh, economic uh, condition we're in now with the with the prices of the homes. I mean, I remember uh, when I was in real estate, I'm in Kingston, about two and a half hours from Toronto. And mm-hmm. We're experiencing some of the uh, some of that market too. Uh, the average price um, in uh, the Kingston Area Real Estate Association at the time was around two hundred fifty thousand dollars. Now it's seven twenty five. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. It's it's uh, and my two boys live in in live in Toronto mm-hmm. and um, uh, they're 30, 36 and thirty four, and um, they're depressed because they don't feel although they both have excellent jobs um, making a hundred grand a year but they're depressed that they don't think they'll ever be able to afford a home, um, so it's you know and it's still drilled in our heads that home ownership is the best way to go but I, I yeah. remember years ago too, seeing. Um, uh, when I was in real estate, seeing a thing about renting, and if you rented and then took the money that um, you, let's say you were to, instead of buying a house, you took the extra money that the mortgage would have cost you and put that away for 25 years, you'd end up around the same amount of investment. But that doesn't really fit now because the houses are so expensive, there's no money left over to invest, right? Yes. It's, it's the house only. So, uh, and then when you add in, you know, 25 years of paying um, uh, interest uh, payments and then mm-hmm. upkeep on the home and add it all up uh, at the end, um, I mean, hopefully you're going to still make some money. But uh, it, and I'll, I mean, real estate's up and down too. It's a slower cycle than, than the stock market, of course. Yes. But, you know, if you uh, something happens, which happened to me one time, uh, my wife and I had to sell, she lost her job. And uh, we had to sell uh, in a down market, and uh, we we didn't actually we made more money on the home slightly than what we uh, paid for it, but we had put in a bunch of uh, updates that uh, too quickly basically, and not knowing that uh, she was going to lose her job, so we didn't get that money back. You know, so that was the only time I ever lost on a on a home. But um, and I was going to ask you about that, and I'm glad you brought that up. Brought that up was about the passive real estate investments. But how about even in the stock markets with REITs and stuff? Do you know um, any kind of returns on that? I don't really uh, uh, play in that market, but it has interested me. Yeah, I know very little about that, right? So, like, um, passive real estate investing could either be through a syndication, like mm-hmm. somebody has, for example, somebody's a general partner or a sponsor of a deal. They manage it, and then there's limited partners. And then you, you know, I like that because you're in a sense owning like a percentage of yes. the deal, whereas a re is more of like the stock market. Like you and thousands of other people mm-hmm. are putting money in, and then you're buying, you know, properties. The only differences I think are um, with REITs, if I'm not mistaken, typically longer hold periods than syndications. And then I think that with REITs, and don't quote me on this, I don't think you can claim depreciation through them. I don't um, think you, so either. Yeah. Yeah, I think you could with syndication. So that's another mm-hmm. big part too is depreciation. What that means is you could decrease your taxable income that you either earned from the investment itself, from the real estate, mm-hmm. and or from the um in, in, in income you earn in different places. So 
one one status that people want to get to is real estate professional status, right? In the United mm. States. And that is because I don't know how it is in Canada. I'm pretty sure it's similar, very similar. Most um, of it is you, very similar, yeah. Yep. If you are a real estate professional, let's say you're a real estate agent or a broker and you also invest in passive real estate deals, well, that income that you get could could be um, off that you could take depreciation against your active income, which is big, which is a big deal if you're earning, mm-hmm. if you're, especially if you earn a lot of money. So real estate has a lot of put cash flow benefits as well as tax benefits to it. Yes, absolutely. No, I, uh, I am, I, I'm kind of the kind of person that I do. I, I mean, I do do some uh, self-directed investing, mm-hmm. but uh, I, I'm a firm believer in uh, invest in something that you understand. Yes, <laughs> you know, and I understand a little bit more about real estate, so that's uh, that's always enticing. Um, but you've got another um, thing there with the uh, whole life insurance as well, mm-hmm. and that probably comes from your insurance background. And believe it or not, uh, also when I uh, got out of uh, high school, I worked uh, uh, as insurance uh, life insurance salesman actually uh-huh. for uh, about a year and a half, and uh, then that was enough for me. Uh, but um, it uh, it was interesting, and at that time, of course, we were trying to sell whole life policies, um, and uh, which um, yeah, I thought was great. And I I ran into a friend of mine from high school, and I I sold him a whole life policy, and uh, I had forgotten all about it. And he said, "This was just like six months ago," and he says, "Mike, remember you sold me that whole life policy?" <laughs> I said, "I did." Yeah, 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 you, you did. I bought that from you. It was like next to nothing because he was, you know, 18. And um, he, he said, you know how much that's worth now? <laughs> and I said, really? Goes, like, you saved my bacon. <laughs> you know, I said, really? I said, wow, that's nice to hear. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So, I mean, I know the, the, uh, the term and whole life, uh, the differences and stuff, but maybe you can kind of go over how you can use the the proceeds of a of a uh, of whole life policy to to um, to get ahead and and actually use it as either a down payment or or what, for whatever purposes. Yeah, and thanks for asking that. There's so many things you could do, right? And and what I'm referring to really is more of a concept, not just the product of whole life insurance. It's mm-hmm. more of uh, people might know it as the infinite banking concept or the bank on yourself concept. And mm-hmm. what it is, is that, like you said, it's using whole life insurance. And I love how you shared that about your friend who now has all this cash. So mm-hmm. pretty much what 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 he, I think he was referring to is you have cash value in the policy and that cash value has been building up over time. Um, so that's pretty much what it, what infinite banking is. It's, it's having a whole life policy with two kind of avenues. One is the life insurance, like the title of it. And the mm-hmm. second is cash value, almost like a savings account inside the policy that grows it grows based off of your contributions putting into it and the performance of the insurance company, their dividends and things like that go into it as well. And then they have a compounding effect and it grows over time. Mm-hmm. But really, like, I guess, like, you know, a lot of people would say, okay, that makes sense. I can put money in a whole life policy, but why not just put it in real estate or why not just put it only in the stock market why, or a mutual fund? Mm-hmm. Why, you know, why do whole life insurance? And I think it's a valid question. And, and it has to do with a lot of fundamental reasons behind how life insurance companies operate uh, versus other types of financial institutions. That's, mm-hmm. I think, the the core to all of this, right? And that is that you go to a bank, right? And you deposit $1,000 in your bank. Now the bank can turn around and then borrow, I think, like 10 times that limit from the Federal Reserve and from different places. Yeah, it's from, wild, isn't it? Yeah, yeah it's fraction <laughs> reserve banking. So yep. when 
there's a catastrophe like in 2008, it's very easy of easy for everything to crumble because everything is leveraged. It's leveraged on top mm. of leverage. So it's like mm. a domino effect. However, with insurance companies, everything is kind of the opposite. They are sitting on actual reserves, actual cash that they own, that their policy owners earn own. And I was reading this book, actually, it's called All About Annuities. I forgot who the author is, but it's called All About Annuities. Okay. And in one section, the author mentions that if there's about 1900 life insurance companies in the United States, and if you took all their cash value mm -hmm. and you pulled it all together, it would be greater than all of the banks and oil companies in the world, all their cash in the world. Yes. So wow. to give you like a mathematical comparison of how much US dollar, how much cash life insurance companies sit on, it's that's their reserve. It's not leverage, it's not barred from other people. That's right. their money. So you now as a real estate investor, as a small business owner, you have to think like, where could my money sit that won't be affected by it? that could still grow, that could still mm -hmm. potentially outpace inflation, that's still accessible, but won't be affected by market conditions. You can't put it in the stock market because that's one of the first places to go in the economic down cycle, right? Is the stock market. For sure. That's real estate right. is safe too. I like real estate a lot, but yep. still some some place that's not affected at all by that. And it's only one place actually. It's it's whole life insurance. That's the only place where you can put money that won't be affected by any market conditions. That'll still be standing when everything falls. Um and even when you look at the Great Depression, the the families and companies that made it through the Great Depression were the ones that were backed by whole life insurance. And I'm saying companies because companies can also have whole life insurance policies within their reserves. So can mm. families and individuals. So those were the people who made it through the Great Depression. You see companies that have been in business before and after the Great Depression, probably because they were backed by whole they had the reserves and whole life insurance. So that, in, in my opinion, that's my favorite part about it. Mm -hmm. Other things, there's tax benefits, right? There's the guaranteed growth. There's the guaranteed ability to always be able to access the money. So I have multiple life, like whole life policies, right? Mm -hmm. Let's say I want to participate in some sort of real estate deal or some sort of investment. I can go to the company and then I could typically borrow up to 90% of my current cash value. So just to use even numbers, let's say my cash value is $10,000. Right. I can borrow up to 9,000 in this situation and then pay that back on my own terms. And there's no credit qualifications for that. There's no, it's not gonna show up on my credit. There's no personal guarantee or any types of guarantees except for the policy itself. That's the only collateral. So again, back to like 2008, right? Like one big problem in 2008 was a lot of real estate investors had cash and properties. Yes. The values of those properties went down. Yes. Also their ability to leverage those pro pro properties went down as well because banks now are gonna give you a loan based off of what the value of the property is, not what you paid for it. Mm -hmm. And then also banks lend part of their lending criteria is the economic situation we're in. So if everybody's losing their jobs and the stock market is going down and people yes. are losing 401k balances, the bank is going to underwrite that as well. They're going to take that into consideration when they're giving out loans to people is yep. the, the the economic situations the of everybody. So except for life insurance companies, right? Life mm -hmm. insurance companies don't do neither one of those. They're not looking at your personal credit situation, nor are they looking at the economic situations when giving you out loans. Right. So if you had a whole life, just to explain to folks, if you had a whole life policy, you borrowed against it, let's say you took half of it out, um, and you passed away a few months later, that uh, other part of the whole life policy still exists, right? The death benefit? Yeah. Or so is, is that, is that uh, do you have to pay back the loan first before the death benefit's paid out? So let's say that you have um, like a million dollars in life insurance, mm -hmm. and then you also have cash value of like a hundred thousand dollars in cash value. And like you said, you took out like 
you borrowed half of that, so $50,000 loan. Yes. And then you passed away a few months ago. What will happen is the insurance company will take that million dollars, automatically subtract the principal of that loan, $50,000 from the million, yeah. minus some interest, which is typically simple interest. So they'll give you 1 million minus principal interest to the beneficiary. So like 900, right. you know, $48,000 just to like use even number, you know, to give you an idea. 948, they would, they would go to the beneficiary. So the insurance company would take out the principal interest from that loan automatically. Right. That's what I thought. I just wanted to make sure people uh, understood that portion of it too. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess that kind of explains the banking on yourself part of the of the, of what you've been talking about too, like using that as a bank. Exactly. Yeah. So like, you know, I have a couple policies, right? Mm-hmm. So I have the, the cash value growing in them. I could store money there. I could also, let's say I come across an opportunity, I could finance it through myself. I could become my own banker, borrow against it, um, and then pay it. And then what's really important is that once I do get that loan, there is no like set structured payback period. It's not like the insurance company is like, here's $10,000. We want $200 a month for the next whatever, 10 years now. Yeah, or um, you pay that back. I'm sorry. Or you could default or something and get back. Yeah, you could, you could just uh, not pay it back really. Mm. The only the only thing is when you don't pay it back, the interest you owe the insurance company keeps growing over time. But sometimes people do that intentionally. Sometimes I've, we've had clients that say we want to fund this over ten years, and then at year ten we want to just do a max loan, and then just keep the pot and never pay back the loan, use that money however we want. And then when they pass away, like later on in the future, the insurance company will take the death benefit minus the principal and interest they loan on that loan. Right. So right. yeah. So. You know, when I, when I, when I, every time I borrow from the insurance company, right, I don't have to worry about like how I'm going to pay it back or what I'm going to do. I don't have to give them any reasons. Mm-hmm. And there's no negative sides to not paying it back, really. The only negative side kind of is I would, I would have to pay a little bit more interest on that money. But there's something, there's a term called non direct recognition. Mm-hmm. And what that means is that when I go to these, and you have to make sure the insurance company has this option within their policies, right? It's called non direct recognition. And what it means is that when I go take out, the, when I go borrow the money, the policy is going to keep growing what regardless of the the outstanding loan is there or not in other words it still grows whether there's a loan out or not it, it doesn't recognize the outstanding loan it's like if i had a property right yeah let's say the property was worth five hundred five hundred thousand dollars, and let's say the property was going to appreciate at five percent every single year over the next 10 years and let's say i had this property paid up in cash but i went and i borrowed against it i, I took out a loan from a bank leveraging that property as collateral that bank loan that I have against the property is not going to affect the appreciation of that property. It's going to affect how much I owe on that property, right? Mm-hmm. But yep. it's not going to affect the the market value, the growth of the policy. It has nothing to do with it. Whether there's, a, whether there's an outstanding loan against the property or not, it has no impact on the appreciation of it. And the same is true with whole life, with certain types of whole life policies. Some of them are direct recognition, where okay. when you take out a loan, that's going to impact the growth of the policy. But the companies we use are non-direct recognition. So what that means now is that as a real estate investor, I could borrow money, use it for real estate deals, and keep growing the wealth inside the policies. Still so now my money is working in two places. It's in mm-hmm. real estate and in whole life insurance. So this is where thinking like, thinking like a bank comes in, right? Is that we're growing money in multiple places at the same time with the same dollars, and then we're, we're able to do more things with that money. And thinking like an entrepreneur with with uh, multiple streams of income, right? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> right? Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so do you ever see things like uh, uh, mutual funds? Cause I know you're a financial advisor um, and uh, self, self-directed investing or crypto uh, kind of outpacing uh, whole life insurance or no? 
I, I think it could, right? So mm-hmm. the growth of whole life insurance, one of the biggest downsides to it, right? Or not, not the downside, one of the things that people say are the biggest downsides to it are um, is, is the, the interest rate you earn on it. It's typically mm-hmm. very conservative, conservative, right? Three or 4%. But Mike, I don't think that's the point. I don't think the point of whole life insurance is for the interest rate. Mm-hmm. I think it's for the protection. I think it's for the ability to always have leverage. Those I think are the more fundamental reasons why people should use whole life insurance. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you could also leverage the policy. We've had clients where they'll put money in the policy and then borrow against that. And then with that borrowed money, put it into crypto or put it in the stock market or sure. put it into real estate. So yeah, I think that it's a it's a both end asset, right? It's something you mm-hmm. can do with other assets. Um, you know, I think, yeah, I think it's, if you had two options, right? Option A or option B and option A was to put money like in whole life insurance and have it grow. And then option B, put it in the stock market and have it grow. I think option B could outpace option A, but I don't think that's the point, right? I think the point mm-hmm. is um, how do we do both? Like, how do we have as much protection as possible? How yes. do we grow money? And and again, you have to think too, like there, there's going to be at least one situation, I think, statistically speaking, read the book, Black Swan by Nassim, by, um, uh, Nassim Tlaib. Uh, and he talks about this, like uh, you're going to have at least one point in your life where you might face some sort of economic recession or depression and you have to be ready for this. Like you can have, you know, the best business ideas, the best credit, the best income, but then things happen outside of your control. Absolutely, so yeah. When that does happen, you want at least one asset that's not affected by that. And in this situation, it's whole life insurance. Yeah. So, like you said, it's not uh, either or; it's both. I mean, why yes. Not, why not use a double-edged sword there? Yes, and, exactly. Uh, and 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 make money uh, a couple of ways there. Mm-hmm. So uh, how, how do you uh, feel about precious metals and how do they fit into the picture at all? Do you have you delved into that market at all or? I haven't. No, I haven't dealt to the market. I think that kind of from like a, a logical perspective, like owning actual gold, I think it's uh, who knows if we'll end up going back to that time, right? Where we're actually trading in. in... <laughs> well, I, yeah, I don't think I mean, I do have some very small investments in uh, in a little bit of gold and a little bit of silver. But the, um, you know, I believe it's more as a, a, of a hedge you know, yes. than, than, than really a true investment. I mean, yes, the yeah. prices go up and down. Like, I mean, and you soon as you see uh, um, the stock markets tank, gold goes up, you know, smart stock, stock markets are up and gold goes down. <laughs> yep. But um, so it's, it's fickle too. But if everything was to crap out, for example, um, you know, there could be places you could sell that gold to either get some something back from that whether mm-hmm. money if that ever happened and uh, the money we're using now is uh, is worthless then yes they, they can't just give you money for the gold because the money is worthless right yes so whatever services you could get for uh, for, for their gold uh, might be uh, uh, you know a hedge for you to survive uh, a little longer or whatever the case is but I don't see it as a huge um, you know I've read lots of stuff about oh you should have at least this much in gold this much in silver but uh, and then you'd have to say, have it in a vault, of course, and pay fees to keep it there. And can you access it in time if you need it? And, you know, it goes on and on. But uh, I just thought I'd uh, throw that precious metal thing at you, too, just to see if uh, you had, uh, had any experience with that. Yeah, it's a it's a good, definitely a good observation. I think it goes back to like, you know, I love how you said that it's more of a hedge. And, you know, then just trying to get rich off of it. It's more of what if we're in bad economic times and you need to just level out, you need to make yourself whole, like you need to indemnify yourself. I think, yeah, definitely um, precious metals should be in somebody's portfolio for sure. Absolutely. I agree. 
So if, uh, for example, my sons are in their mid-30s, so yeah. if you had folks that, you know, they've gone to school, uh, debts paid off and all that stuff, um, they're working, have decent jobs, so they're, let's say, 30 to 40 years old, what would be a good strategy to um, um, start with? Um, and let's say they don't have any whole life insurance. Is it getting expensive at those years already to um, to do the whole life thing? Yeah, so whole, so yeah, that's one of the advantages, right? When you're young, you want to do whole life because you lock in the rates at today's dollars. Mm -hmm. So like, let's say, for example, I do um, 10,000 at the age of 30 a year for the next 10 years between age 30 and age 40, I'm putting in $10,000. Um, in the future, I'm paying, you know, at today's rate, $10,000, $10, but buying more and more life insurance every single year because the it's it's not a level life insurance premium. It's going to go up as well every um, every year. It's going to go up. So, yeah, that's one of the reasons. And then the second part of it, too, is that when you buy life insurance, typically whole life insurance, mm -hmm. you know, if you buy it at age 30, that's the rate you're buying. You're buying it at a 30-year-old, let's say, male or female. That's the rate you're buying it at, and then that's the rate you keep paying it. But then if you buy it at 40, it's going to cost you more and more. It doesn't mean that if somebody's later on in life, they can't buy whole life insurance at all. They still could, mm -hmm. but it's always better when you're younger. And the third reason why it's better when you're younger, too, is because you're dealing with compound interest and compound yes. growth. And- um, you know, with that, you need time, right? So the more time you have to allocate to these policies and grow and compound, the, the better it will be in the future. Yeah, all the growth on the compounding is at the end, right? Yes, so it's, yes. Uh, that's where it really takes off. Yes. Uh, yeah, so definitely, I agree with you that wholeheartedly. Um, so um, we're getting pretty much to the end, Sari, and I just wanted to um, thank you for being here, but also I wanted to uh, see if you could tell folks uh, if they wanted to follow you or how can they get a hold of you and ask you some questions. So what's the best way for people to do that? Yeah, so first of all, thank you. You know, thank you for having me on. I really enjoyed our conversation. I really enjoyed being here and uh, hopefully the audience got a lot of value out of this. I'm sure uh, if you, you know, if you want to take your financial situation to the next level, you want to solve some financial problems in your life, then reach out to me. Uh, you can reach out to me at thinkinglikeabank.com. There's a free ebook we wrote for you. So you can download it for free. It's called, th uh, think the book is called Thinking Like a Bank and it's free. Nice. And you can get it from thinkinglikeabank.com. There's also a link to schedule an appointment with me. You can schedule a free 15-minute call. I'll be more than happy to work with you and see if we're a good fit. Um, and then there's also our podcast called Thinking Like a Bank. So you could mm -hmm. kind of learn more about our podcast. And we are launching, we're launching episode 52 today. So we're 52 episodes in. Perfect. And then, yeah, I'm looking forward to uh, hearing from you guys and hopefully probably being back on here in the future. Yes, no, that would be great. And uh, for everybody listening, uh, definitely we'll have all of uh, Sari's information um, below the video. So you'll be able to see that and also uh, on uh, Soul Mechanic Radio as well. So thank you so much, Sari, for this interview and very enlightening. And um, the, the whole concept of that was uh, very, very interesting. And I think mm -hmm. uh, a lot of people are going to have some questions and uh, kind of do a double take on uh, how they can uh, get ahead uh, financially in life. Um, and uh, I think that's great. Absolutely. So, thank you. Thank you again, Sari. And I look forward to chatting with you again. Thanks. Appreciate it. Okay. Take care. You too. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode as always keep what feels good and dump what doesn't and remember live without judgment give without expectation and love for no reason 
Follow those three simple expressions and you'll be well on your way to an inspirational, intentional, and successful life. Until next time, you're the one. We'll be right back.